The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Listen now for God's word as it echoes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter two, beginning with the 13th verse. Jesus went out again beside the lake. The whole crowd gathered around him and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's passage, today's text is traditionally titled The Call of Levi, or if you prefer, The Call of Matthew. Matthew is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Levi. The call of Levi as a text passes by quickly, but it's not without drama. The story starts when, when Jesus spots Levi sitting at his booth, surrounded by ledgers and money bags, collecting taxes for the Romans. Without a preamble or, or pleasantries of any kind, Jesus says to the fellow, follow me. On hearing these simple words, this basic command, Levi gets up, leaves everything behind, and follows Jesus. Levi responds so quickly, so decisively, it makes us wonder, uh, did we miss something? I mean, what motivates an established professional going about his day to stand up and, and follow a street preacher? What, what lies behind Levi's startling decision to chuck it all and take off after Christ? It's a good question. And it's a tricky question to answer. We have so little data here. Jesus doesn't offer Levi reasons, a, a careful point-by-point -point rationale for, for quitting his job and becoming a disciple. He simply says, follow, and the tax collector pushes his notebooks aside. Levi looks impetuous, impulsive, reckless, and maybe he is. 
Consider, though, with me for a moment, Caravaggio's incredibly evocative rendering of this scene. The Italian master resists good theatrical blocking and partially conceals the figure that most classic painters choose to put front and center. In this, Caravaggio is showing off just a little. Jesus is, is somewhat hidden behind another disciple. Still, all the light in the painting comes from our Lord's direction. The unknown disciple with his back to us is, is a wonderful touch. He, he also points at Levi, although in gesturing, he turns his head toward Jesus. Perhaps he's questioning Christ's wisdom. Uh, wait a minute, that guy, are you sure? Do you really want a tax collector on your team? And then of course, there is Levi's startled reaction. He points to himself. I can almost hear his voice cracking. Who, me? You want me? Jesus points at Levi. A disciple points at Levi. Levi points at himself. Caravaggio is a genius. I don't think Levi's decision to follow Jesus was a snap decision, a, a, a knee-jerk whim. I think Levi had been waiting a long, long time for a moment like this. Does the text support that interpretation? Well, it's true that Mark doesn't give us a whole lot in terms of Levi's backstory. We don't know anything about his, his childhood or, or his life's goals. All, all we know is that he was a tax collector. Although that, my friends, may be enough. Uh, tax collectors were, were Jews who worked for the Roman government. They collected, some say extorted, money from a population under the thumb of a foreign government. They were responsible for seeing that their neighbors paid for the privilege of being occupied by Rome. For this, tax collectors were handsomely rewarded, and for this, they were doubly despised. They had betrayed their country, and they were profiting from it. Did Levi make a snap decision? I think not. He was a tax collector. He had endured years of hate, countless looks of revulsion, agonizing rifts with former friends, long nights contemplating the moment he first sold out, staring at the ceiling, wondering how he'd become an evil cog in a system of repression, violence, and greed. I imagine that, that, that Levi thought about his messed up life all the time. In other words, when, when Jesus came walking down that street, Levi wasn't rash, he wasn't reckless. Levi was relieved. Despite every contrary indication, he wasn't past the point of redemption. When Christ's words reached the tax collector's ears, he heard what he had only dared hope. You, Levi, most despised of men are not beyond God's reach. 
follow me, says Jesus. And Levi got to his feet. Faith, says Frederick Buechner, faith is a word that describes the direction our feet start moving when we find out that we are loved. Where do Levi's feet take him? Well, according to Mark, Levi heads home. But, but first, though, he stops by the market. He, he buys armloads of vegetables and, and a couple of rotisserie chickens. He, he sends out invitations. And then Levi sets his table for a banquet. And when the feast is ready, this new disciple wedges Jesus in alongside the only friends he has left in the world, a bunch of other tax collectors. It's, it's a scandalous tableau. There's our Lord dining at Levi's house, surrounded by a few dozen of the most hated people in all of Israel. Now, naturally, the, the local religious leaders take note. Peering in through Levi's window, they complain to the disciples, this, this is not good. Your, your boys shouldn't be partying with that lot. Overhearing, Jesus responds, you there, you self-appointed members of the pious patrol, have this whole thing backwards. I didn't come to book a table at the All Saints Cafe. I'm here to dine with these people. I'm here to tug guys like Levi back into the arms of God. Christ's words are powerful and gracious. They are also deeply troublesome. I'm a, I'm a church geek. <laughs> I've been hanging around churches since before I could walk. Every religious community of which I've ever been a part has had moments when someone has pointed, like Caravaggio's unknown disciple, and said, that guy, we don't need folk like that in here. For reasons of race and class and caste, for past sins, current beliefs, and befuddled heads, for political perspective, none of us is immune. At some anxious point, we've all said, that guy doesn't belong in here. She really ought not to be here. Those sorts of folk ought not be in church. Whenever we utter these words, and I've said them too, we can hear the creak of Christ's chair pushing back from the table at Levi's house. I've come, Jesus says, not to call the righteous, but to eat with sinners. I'll never forget the day in seminary when a professor sought to pierce the romantic vision that many preacher wannabes have of the church. Never forget, Professor Noyce said, that every single sin that you can list, everyone that you can imagine and some that you can't is out there on a Sunday morning. Never forget the church is not a spa for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. Those who are well, Jesus says, have no need for a physician. That's true for the church. It's also, I think, true for our country. 
This past week, I received an invitation to write an essay on the question, can religion heal America's deep divides? I'm not entirely sure how to answer because the truth of the matter goes, I think, something like this. Religious leaders and religious movements in the Bible usually tried to promote, to, to, to draw clear divides in society. Holy versus profane, sinner versus saint. And they had good reasons for this. They wanted to, to lift up righteous living, to, to, to say what it looked like, to create a holy society. And the same holds true today. Religious communities still want to, to promote righteous living. Communities of faith still draw lines that they do not want to bridge. There are people that we've decided are untouchable, deplorable, and beyond the pale. Now, to be sure, we don't have all the same people in our personal deplorable buckets, but we all have deplorable buckets. We have folk whose ideas and beliefs and ways of living are repugnant to us. I'm not sure that religion can heal us or, or even wants to heal us of these angry and anxious divisions. But Jesus? Well, that's another story. Jesus doesn't do untouchable. He doesn't do cancel. He points his finger at the most unlikely folk and says, I want to have dinner at your place. He sits down and breaks bread with, with outsiders and sinners, with, with broken souls and broken hearts, with political radicals and, and traitors to the nation. He, he laughs and, and feasts and stays long into the night listening to these folk, listening as people reveal what lies beneath the hard shells that hide our real and frightened selves. In the film, Little Miss Sunshine, a seven-year-old girl, Olive, qualifies for the regional final of a beauty contest. To allow her to compete in the contest, Olive's entire dysfunctional family heads off on a road trip. Now, Olive is both excited and afraid. She wants to compete, but she's afraid of disappointing her father. You see, Olive's dad is a motivational speaker and his standard speech, which Olive has heard in practice over and over again, berates people for their failures. I don't wanna be a loser, Olive confesses to her mother because daddy hates losers. At one point in the film, Olive's dad holds court as their barely functional VW bus wheezes down the highway. He declares over his shoulder, there are two kinds of people in this world, winners and losers. On the word losers, the camera pans Olive's family. There's Olive's brother, Dwayne, who's taken a vow of silence in a doomed attempt to gain entrance to the Air Force Academy. There, there's Olive's grandpa, a foul-mouthed reprobate 
There's Olive's uncle, a depressed and suicidal academic. There's Olive's downtrodden mother, desperately trying to hold the family together. And finally, the camera comes back to rest on Olive's father, a failed writer whose book ideas have been repeatedly rejected by publishers. What would the camera see if it would pan over our life, our families? What did Jesus see when he walked up to Levi on the street? There's a moment toward the end of Little Miss Sunshine when the people in the van suddenly realize that, that little Olive isn't there. In the midst of all their squabbling, they left her behind at a gas station. In, in the very next scene, we see the van gliding back through the service station parking lot. They don't dare stop because the banged up bus will not restart. So little Olive runs, her, her, her legs churning and is tugged through the van's open door. As they screech back onto the highway, we hear Olive's father declare, no one gets left behind. No one gets left behind. What is Jesus thinking as he walks up to Levi? What does Jesus have in mind when he sits down at a banquet table with a gaggle of all the worst sinners in the land? Has, has God given up on righteous living? Of course not, says Mark. It's just that you might be surprised and a little annoyed when you peer in the window of Levi's house and catch an eyeful of what righteous living looks like. It looks like a bunch of despicable people eating rotisserie chicken. It looks like a van slowly chugging through a parking lot, hauling scrambling souls in through the back door. It sounds like a voice shouting into the chasms that divide our country and that make us so doggone mad at each other, no one gets left behind. My friends, have courage in this time. Hold fast to what is good. Do not return evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord. Amen.